Welcome to episode 514 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 514 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Ars. How you going, mate? Good, I'm glad you know the episode number. Yep, I knew it off by heart because I'm a good kid. And he was also stating that when we did our quiz at the I Am Talk weekend, a couple of listeners knew what episode we were up well, to. Well, it came down to an icebreaker, but I turned that after the fact that apparently your team cheated. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Apparently the scores that you guys had put up actually weren't accurate, so it shouldn't have been a draw at the end anyway. That's, <laughs> right. that's what I heard through the through the grapevine. Um, and so so then I had a, a tiebreaker. And mm. I thought, what's an easy tiebreaker? And I thought, what episode number is it for next week's show or last week's show, whatever it was? And Dave Dwan, and I think the Mountain Snail both, both just topped it out like that. Each week I'm going to John. What episode number is it? I don't yeah, know. Intelligent men that they are. Oh, smart cookies, that's what they are. Jumbo. I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com Social networking for endurance sports Extreme endurance Your lactic buffer Exhale Now what's what's the tagline? Exhale more than an algorithm More than You're going to hear about this later on the show Okay, good times And our patrons Yeah, we're going to name a couple Mark the Missile Scudamore Michael Sylvester Parrott Jason McPhail And it's DP Dirty Pesh Which if you listened to the show a couple weeks ago it was quite entertaining. When we That's because I, I was actually quite happy to, to hear that because then I did actually know why I would, I'd given him the name DP. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Dirty Pash. Mm. It was really, it's not DP, it's Dirty Pash. So. Yes. There we go. Okay, guys. In this week's show, we've got a bit of news. We've got a couple of interviews, John. We have. So we're going to be interviewing Peter Vaughan, who was doing his 100th Ironman last weekend at Ironman Australia. And then we're going to do we've got another interview with Mark Livesey, who we're going to talk about sort of applications of military training and how we can learn a bit from triathletes around that. And then uh, we've also got My First Try. My First Try. Good time. Back by roll. popular demand. Okay, John, it was a big weekend last weekend because we had Ironman Australia. Mm. And Ironman Australia was pretty interesting. And, yeah. and it's funny, we so we talked about it last week. We were saying, what's ever going to, you know, Tim Reedy, you know, he's killing his 70.3s and be really great to see him step it up. And man, he stepped it up, didn't he? He did indeed. So time. Swam 47 minutes, spiked 4.34, ran 2.51 for a total time of 8.16.34 to take the victory by six minutes over David Dallow, who also had a pretty strong day at the office, uh, but could not keep up on the run. And then Clayton Fattel. Well, I think Clayton Fattel was in the lead. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a hammer. Yeah, he was well in the and Tim ran up to him and then Dallow overtook Fatel towards the end. Yeah, so uh, Clayton Fatel was, was the early leader, swam 43, rode 4.29 and then ran a 3.07, so faded a bit to, to third place, but still reasonable result for him. Is that Tim's first Ironman win? Yes, it is. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? It They're is. pretty happy coming across the line. And yeah. In, in the article I read, he'd lost a friend or something? Yeah, there was someone who's coming to come down to, to watch the race. I'm not sure if they were terminally ill or what yeah. the deal was there, but that obviously gave him the extra motivation to get his A into G. So it's going to be really interesting, interesting to see where, where it leads for him because, yeah, as we said last week, and he is, you know, was it last year or the year before, he was you know consistently probably one of the very, very top guys in the world. You know, you'd, you'd say, who's the top five in the world? And he, he would be there. Mm. Uh, but he hasn't yet to transfer it across to Ironman. So that's a 
good strong day at the office and it'll get him it's plenty of points. It's a guy of that pedigree. It's just you get that breakthrough win mm. and it opens the floodgates. You know, mm. like, you know, we've seen it a little in the past, like Van Leer, he was like that once he had that Dubai win or Abu Dhabi, wherever it was. Then suddenly he just went to this next level. And uh, Tim reads of that pedigree. And so we're really fascinating watching his career moving forward. Yeah. And, and you know, so, uh, some similarities there with Terenzo Bozzoni. He's, you know, a fantastic 70.3 athlete. Has had plenty of podiums at Ironman New Zealand, but has yet to really transfer that across to Ironman. So uh, we'll see, you know, see if their paths go in a similar way. Because Terenzo's certainly putting out noise that he, you know, he really wants to get over there and crush Kona and stuff. But we've really yet to see it uh, over the full distance. Tom, the guys' races are interesting. We've got a couple of things we'll talk about in a second, but Beth Good's run Great the run. second fastest run of the day. Nice, loving it. So Tim Reed did 2.51, which is pretty smoking, and he's, And if we look at the other run times, most of the pro guys were over three hours. Mm. A couple of them went sub three. The second fastest run of the day in 2.56 was Beth. Very nice. That's impressive, man. So she swam 56, biked 5.13, and ran at 2.56 for 9.10. She's always been a really strong runner. 2.56. That's, that's, a, that's a great run. That's second fastest of the day. And it's not like it was a, you know, you've got good athletes here. Mm. Man, that is impressive. Yeah, so it was a terrible day over there in terms of uh, weather, in terms of the pictures that I saw. I don't know if it was crap all day, but it looked miserable on the run. So Beth Gerds took it out in 9.10 from Michelle Bremer, who's our Kiwi, who's uh, the winner last year, 9.13. So pretty close race. Uh, she was, you know, she lost... 14 minutes, um, Michelle Bremer on the run to, to Beth Gerds, and then Dimity Lee, Dimity Lee Duke was third. Distance That's a third, great 942. Dimity Lee Duke, Dimity Lee Duke. <laughs> Say that fast 10 times. Pa- a funny story from the day, Josh Amber. Josh Amberger. Amberger, yeah. is it? Amberger. Okay, so got a penalty, went in the penalty box, thought to himself, good time to go for a, to relieve myself. Yeah. Kicked out of the race. Yeah, he's a great athlete. He's one of the best, you know, fantastic seventy point three athletes. Well, I think he was and right up there in the race as oh, well. Yeah. I think he was up there on the bike. So, so he must just pee his pants, did he? Don't know. Or you relieve yourself? Out. I don't know. Because do they have toilets and penalty boxes? No. Or well, not? Not the the one single penalty box that I've been at. There has not been one. The one that you spent one minute in the set of four. Yeah, that one. <laughs> that one. That one. Where you still bugger this. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Probably not the wisest move. Do you think he flopped it out and did it in the corner? Or do you think he just peed his pants? I've got absolutely no idea. Oh, somebody let us know. Mm. That's what I want to know. What, what was Josh thinking? Got the red card and uh, it's, it's got here uh, the technical official red carded him. And he was told after consultation that, that with the relevant authorities that his day was done. Just held on, got on your bike, and just peed on the bike. Exactly. So Listen yeah. to our tips around that. Okay, John, we've got uh, a couple of little picks races. Looks like St. Croix is going to die. Oh, I, I, so I, th- I was on the Ironman.com thinking, you know, oh, there's St. Croix this weekend. This used to be a great 70.3 race. It was, of, it was kind of like one of the big five, wasn't it? It's been around for a long, long time and uh, used to have great prize money, I, I think, and, and, and hence you got a really good, strong field. It was also a fantastic course, had this brute of a hill in it. But yeah, we're not. Ironman and just on the results they clearly had no pro field um, but it's, it says uh, there's looked like there's only 251 athletes so wow, I'd imagine you know, you know how um, WTC sort of view races that don't pull big fields I think it wouldn't be surprised if we see that one get knocked on the head which is a shame because it was, was one of those iconic, iconic races Wow but it's really is it, and it's still 70.3 and it's still only sold 250 slots Yeah but it's in the middle of nowhere you got you know it's quite a 
effort to get there. Yeah, you would have previously still sold. Mm. So it's interesting what we kill the pros, the race dies. Mm. Like I wonder why, maybe someone with a bit of insight, give us some insight into why you think St. Croix has just, you know, just diminished so quickly because that's, that's, that's poor for, an, for mm. a WTC race to get 250 athletes. Mm. That's unheard of. Yeah, Ken Glau was there though, finished 11th place overall. And that was including a number of teams there. So good work, Ken. Also, at the weekend, Crowey's shown that he's still uh, still got some goods to deliver. Must break the hearts of the young fellas, eh? Yeah, so there was, they, this is over at Bustleton 70.3. And Crowey took the boys out. Um, Michael Robbins, uh, Mitchell Robbins and Callum Millwood, along with a bunch of other pretty you know half-decent guys there. You had Mike Phillips um, for a keep good Kiwi guy, Peter Kerr. Um, Guy Crawford. Guy Crawford and so on. And uh, Crowey just took him down on the run, ran a 112.22. To win by a minute and a half with Callum Millwood, who's shown pretty good form this year. So I wonder how much Crowe's still training business. here. Like it'd be really interesting to see. You know, like I've, he talks about you know what it takes to do an Ironman in Hawaii. Well, oh, sorry, I can't concentrate, Bevan. What's up? I'm back on. I'm back oh, on. John's been, <laughs> basically, he's on triathlete. What is it? Triathlon magazine uh, website. And on they've got the ad of gills and bloody. What is it? Lingerie on their website. John, yeah. John's obviously a very narrow-minded person. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, he's one focus in life. Yeah. <laughs> and they try it on. Jesse Thomas, don't care that you won your sixth straight title at uh, Wildflower. Got more interesting that was, that was things to look at. That was our next piece of news. But I wonder what would be really interesting. We should get Crowley on. Okay, Bevan. Yeah, sort that out. You're a friend. Righty-ho. Yep. Sort that out. Because it would be really interesting to talk to him about what training happens in his life right now. Mm. You know? Maybe smart training. Won't be doing quite as much mileage and stuff. but Yeah, yes, but still, the fact he's still winning. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing, you know, when you drop away from training, you're going to lose an edge. Mm. But still be winning. So you'd expect him now to be the kind of guy to turn up and get, like, a, a fifth. Yep. You yep. know? You yep. kind of expect that. But he's winning, and, and there's, you know, there's still good fields he's beating. Exactly. You know? So... Back to the more important news, though, rather than my lingerie. lingerie. Uh, Jesse Thomas took out his sixth title in a row at Wildflower Triathlon. Uh, We would have talked about this last year, I'm sure, but what's interesting with that race now is you have the swim that has had to be moved from the lake that's completely dried up, and they have now a new swim venue, and you swim, and then you run two miles to transition. Oh, really? And then you do your bike, and then you do your run. That two miles is taken off your total run. So it's like a 19-mile run? No, you still do the same run distance, but so your second run is not not the full distance um, yeah. so it's combined so but Jesse Thomas beat Terenzo Bozzoni there so Good winning six, six, six times in a row is pretty solid so mm-hmm. nice work Jesse okay then we've also got Island House is coming back now this was a race last year that Beth Goods and Luke McKenzie. So our winner from this weekend she's been busy she's, she's a mum she's winning races she's uh Organising races. And so this was the one that was put on last year and it was a bit of an innovation. It kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? It was a bit weird. Yeah, and it was, but it was pretty sensational. Mm. So it was kind of like over a few days. Yep. That it, was it two or three days? Uh, it was sort of two and a half days, set a number of different races. That, and they had some, they had the proper rock stars there. Yeah. So you had, uh, you had Gomez there, you had Gwen Jorgensen there, you had like Lisa Norden, um, you had, uh, I think it was 10 males, 10 females, and a, r- a really good calibre, but it was a, a mixed match of um, ITU and athletes and uh, probably more long course athletes you know Rachel Joyce Marinda Carfrey and so on and Island House is basically a top end kind of resort, resort yeah. yeah um and so this year it's back which I think is pretty cool they're doubling the number of pros so there will be 40 athletes in the race also there's going to be various formats over three days again and also there'll be non-drafting races so the level of playing field so for long course athletes
athletes, they can also opt in to go for their time trial bikes. So, what's significant here is uh, the timing of it is great. Yeah, it's at the end of the season, um, but the price purse will again be five hundred thousand dollars with sixty thousand dollars designated to the winner. That's pretty serious money for for athletes. Five hundred thousand um, over forty people. Mm. You know, when you think of it that way, mm. so half a mil. So everyone's going to be walking away with something, surely. I would assume so, and I'm sure that they'll you'll get looked after in terms of turning up. My ads have changed again. Oh, you've it's even better now. It just keeps. <laughs> oh God, John! I don't even want to go there. My eyes are blinded. So stand up right now, John. Great prize money, great concept. It's going to be at the end of the season, so athletes are going to be there. They're going to be having a bit of fun as well. But I think it, it's um, yeah. You really know, cool. the interesting thing about Google Ads, John. What? It's often a reflection of ads you've clicked on. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm just thinking. This is a shared computer. It's the family. It's a family <laughs> computer. Go. Shared computer. Thomas looks at this stuff all the time. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, Frodo looks like he's going to be racing Ironman Lens already in a couple weeks. You, you were asking about this a few weeks ago, so he has got to click off an Ironman somewhere, and we know that he's doing Challenge Rote, and so he's going to be going there trying to set a new world record. But he's got to click that Ironman somewhere, so. Great strategy, I think. Go and get it knocked off early in the season. Uh, just be interesting to see, you know, whether he really goes for it or not. I mean, he could still win the race, I'm sure, relatively comfortably by going at 90%. Um, but whether he actually goes at say 75% and just cruises it around. So we've got to remember for, for people like us going out and doing an Ironman. Yeah, it's a tough race, but it is. You know, it's one of those races where some days you just got to have to work no matter what. Yeah, but still, those guys are a hell of a lot fitter oh, than, yeah. than what we are. And to actually go out and do an Ironman in an aerobic state, not pushing it, is probably not going to take a huge amount out of them. It was like me a couple of weeks ago, John. I just turned up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> turned up, knocked it out. See you later. Uh, but for him, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how it goes. I reckon he'll probably, if, if I was in his shoes, I'd just be marking people all day. You know, you just kind of get in the zone and if you're not in the lead just kind of follow people and then you always know that unless the crap hits a fan I can outrun anybody here without too much effort so I think the thing is, is what, it kind of must suck for the second tier because Lens already is a second tier race now mm. you know you're not really getting mm. stellar fields um, and so for, or at least for the pros it must suck for those people who you know those pros who kind of picked their race this year this Lens mm. the one chance if I can win this it's really good because it's good for my sponsors my exposure and all that Oh, Frodo's turning up. Yeah. But it'll be great for the race. It'll bring great exposure and uh, really cool for you guys that are going over there to race it to see uh, one of the real rock stars out there doing it. Okay, so one other, probably the biggest piece of news this week, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, people are angry about this one, John. So they, so they should be. And so they, I can't believe John hasn't had a rant about this one. <laughs> I thought this was going to be rant of the week. Iron Man yeah. Texas. It's not really an Iron Man anymore. No. You sign up. There's been some planning problems. Iron Man left it a little bit late. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing 112 miles on the bike, you're going to be doing 94 miles on the bike. Mm. I, don't, is, I wouldn't feel particularly good about that. I'd be, I'd be slightly angry. Yeah, screws up your athletes' results and everything as well. And, well, but like and for some people, you get one chance in a life to do an Ironman. You know, like I was, actually, I was in one of my runners just moved down from Taupo, and um, she's joined our half marathon group, and she's trained to do Ironman New Zealand the year that the weather went bad. Oh yeah, and she did the half and. You know, she has never had a chance to do an Ironman again. She really wants to. She feels she needs to tick that box. 
but it's mm. not you can do an Ironman every year for everybody and then you go what, t- what time did you do for that Ironman oh, I did 8.55 yeah. really yeah, yeah. my god yeah. That's because, yeah but it's because it was an hour short on the bike it is going to be about an hour short you know for a, for a lot of people yeah. it's a pretty significant difference uh, 18 miles yeah for a lot of people that's going to be an hour's difference on the bike ride yeah. So the, the, the reason behind this is um, they had to change the bike course. So we I absolutely get it. Being a race organiser, it can be a pain in the ass. You've got to deal with the really difficult course configurations and so on. But there was a part, a part of the course that they were not able to go through. Um, it was claimed there's a, there's a commissioner in the county that was really didn't, you know, didn't want them to be going through there because of the traffic problems they were going to be causing. And then apparently... He came up with some reason why they couldn't go through there, so they had to change the course. So they're, they're you know, they're in a shitty situation. So they've come up with a new course, which is all good and well. <coughs> yeah, it's a one-loop course. It's only ninety-four miles. So I get that, but why couldn't you, at the end of that one-loop course, tack on, tack on a little loop? And apparently, it's not that hard because I know somebody that lives there. Ah, uh, got the inside <coughs> gossip, John. And he said, "Well, yeah, you could quite easily you're do. Right there. You, you, you're no, right. I'm fine. I'll, I'll we'll survive. Water. No, uh, you could just do a couple of loops at the end, and then you got 112 miles. If this was your, it's appalling. It's, it's appalling. Oh, you ran. I'm liking no, this. No, I, 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 it's appalling. You mm. pay big money. You commit so much of your life to do an Ironman, mm. and they can't find below 30 k's on the bike. Mm. Come on, Ironman. It's that's mm-hmm. crap. And mm-hmm. It's it, and I don't know. Like, surely try harder to figure this one out. Mm-hmm. You've still got time, but like, surely you can make it work. Like, I, I, I'm like for everyone, for you know, a lot of our audience who do lots of Ironman, so be it. You know, like if it was you and I, I'd be like, oh, it's a bugger, but I'll still just kill with the mm. day. But for those people who get that one chance in their life to do an Ironman, mm. they can't say they're an Ironman, and they can say it because it's an Ironman branded race. But mm. but at the end of the day, deep down, you'd be I'd be gutted. Pick up your game, Iron Man. Yeah, it's that's, that's poor form. Once, if I, I'll put a video clip on um, I Am Talk Dot Me this week because someone's done one of those Hitler clips about it. Oh, right. You know, where they do the Hitler. Kind yeah, of yeah, that, that, yeah. You know, and it's, uh, it's pretty funny. Inside, words for, inside word from my insider over there is you do not want to be going and riding the course and training. Oh, is it pretty full on, is he it? He says you'll kill yourself. So oh, that's no. your inside word. Don't go and ride the course. Be fine on race day when the roads and everything are closed, but he said, for portions of that course, do not go and ride them. Anyway, moving on. One thing that Ironman are doing, um, so sponsor. A sponsor. One thing that Ironman are going to screw up a bit because of uh, this Ironman Texas stuff is poor old Athlinks. You know, how are they supposed to com- compute these Ugh. results that uh, when the, the distances aren't Poor full? old Athlinks. Yeah. Play WTC, you even hooting Athlinks here. Exactly. But uh, one of the fantastic things that you can do on Athlinks is... You can go and suss out how other people are doing. So I was uh, good old John the Mountain Snail Hancock. Yeah, I had to say didn't swim the yeah, was my I fault. was thinking I was looking at because I looked at these maps that he did last week and I was thinking he's, I can see he's swimming the Cook Strait, but it doesn't look like he's swum all the way. And I thought, oh, I didn't do my research, so I'll let Bevan roll with it. So I'm just totally blaming you here. Oh, no, I totally take responsibility for it. He they, between three of them they swam it. I think the Cook, the cook Strait. Yeah, so so they did get swam. Mm. He just didn't swim the whole thing. But hey, it's all legend in my eyes. And, um, but on Athlinks, good old John the Mountain Snail, and he actually has that <coughs> on his Athlinks profile. He's running along there in his I Am Talk jersey. Looks like finishing Ironman New Zealand. Look for young boy there. Mm, yep. Always a young man now. Yeah. Um, what you can do is if you want to ch- check 
check out other people's rivals, you can also do that. So if you go John Hancock and athletes, come up and find him, then you actually see how he rates against all his other local athletes, which have also got their I Am Talk nicknames in there, which is fantastic. Nice. Warren Agent Smackdown Sutherland. Nice. Jay Splendid Spin Walters. Uh, Andrew Diplodocus Kerr. And it tells you your win-loss record there. So against his, his wife, I don't know if he's got this 100% updated. Um, You've got to say his wife's beating him. Man, no, Mandy Han- Hancock, John has currently got a, a 19-0 win-loss record. But I think she might have beaten him somewhere as well. Uh, Maybe okay. that Queenstown try. Probably a bike race. No, mm. Queenstown try, they were a team. Oh, were they? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, against Rebecca Bullseye Bex Spears, he's got a 4-1 win-loss record. So it's just one of the cool little things, how you can use your, your rivals both for yourself to compare yourself against others. And you also go and suss out how some of your mates, maybe in different parts of the world, are sort of how they rank against uh, other athletes as well. So check it all out. Athlinks.com, get your rivals updated. Okay, guys, this week's discussion. We had a discussion last week around the championship race that's going to be happening for Challenge coming up. Is it this year or next year? Uh, next year. Next year. So next year, um, and that's going to be uh, a big move for Challenge, and hopefully it's a real success. But we're kind of just wondering for you guys, do you think the challenge, the championship from Challenge will be a success? Let us know why you have your thoughts. When you give us your thoughts, share where you are from in the world. So Dan Cole, no, it's just another 70.3 with no history or unique experience. Challenge should stop trying effectively to copy ITU slash WTC and innovate on race formats, distances instead uh, and link up with more ITU to reinvigorate the ITU long distance champs into a must-do event. The lure of competing for your country is a big motivator there. Good point. Yep, Christopher Doyle's got, I've been telling Challenge that Roach should be the championship uh, to no avail. Uh, I don't think that a new race like this championship should need a qualification in the interest of getting it rolling. Uh, Peter Mills, I think Challenge's whole business plan is challenged. They are Andrew Messick's R&D company. That means Challenge sets up an event in new new locations and regions and does the grafting and hard work and then Ironman come in the next year and take it over. Okay, uh, Jeff Curry's got, um, from my luxurious tropical Northern Ireland ki- climate, I sadly have to say that I don't think so. Likes, innovation, approach and location, great range of entry qualifications, uh, reaching out to ITU and Ironman competitors, creates more competition for Ironman dislikes, the prize pro money is not huge, lacks histor- history and uh, kudos, uh, seems venue seems interesting but relatively unproven. If they can flop a million dollar series, then this should be short lived. Matthew Bins, I like the fact that Challenge try new things. This is their new thing and will be a world championship for predominantly European based. Um, athletes, pro and age groupers, just like Hawaii is a world championship for predominantly US-based athletes, age groupers especially. The race will work. If it doesn't, I can see Challenge just sliding the title world championship into the road race. Okay, my comments are often said to be long-winded, so I'll try to keep it short. Yes and no. Yes for the pros, but no, I'm not so sure for the age groupers. Pros come for a deep field and money. Age groupers go to Kona because it's Kona, or Rote because it's Rote. Our sport seems to have many championships, but many only consider there to only be one. How to make it as big as that, I'm not sure. My last one, Tim Ford, while the facility sounds amazing and it is great to see some cha- um, some challenge with the their own championship I think the location will leave a bit to be desired for nearly everyone outside Europe uh, Lucy Francisco Challenge Championship will only work if it's wrote and she's in London and greeting from Cornwall this is Justin Hunt he's got no John um, 
your thoughts? Uh, well, I did a tiny bit. If, if, if from a New Zealand point of view, I wouldn't wouldn't go. So you wouldn't go seventy point uh, three world champs either, would you? Not likely, no. Mm. But I, I would be more inclined to go the seventy point three worlds as opposed to to this race because yeah. it's probably more of it's a, a slightly better reflection of where you stand. It's, it's still not a, a proper full on world. Well, it is a proper full on world championship, but I don't think if you finish third there, you can't say you're third best uh, seventy point three athlete in the world. Well, but you I can. Think you, you can. Yeah. yeah. You can argue against <clears throat> it, but you can. Um, but when I when I looked into it, if I was a European based athlete, I think it would have some appeal to me. I thought, oh, one of the, you know, I'm a tight ass. What's one of the things that was is a criteria for me is price to to get there and ease to get there, and it's bloody cheap to get there from from say London. I looked and it was like 209 bucks New Zealand, and you go fly into Vienna, wow. and I thought, well, that's a bit of an appeal for me. Go to yep. Vienna, kind of cool. The facility <laughs> itself looked like it. Uh, Bevan, Bevan's dying over there. Yep. Um, the facility itself looked like it would cater quite nicely for families. There's another tick for me. Yep. So for me, it did have <clears throat> quite a few ticks. So I wouldn't be necessarily getting super excited about it, but. <clears throat> Excuse me, now it's me. Oh, we're passing it around, go from one to the um, other. Yeah, it, it has some appeal to me. And but what would probably tip me over going would being that if it was going to have a stellar field, and I think with the amount of prize money that I've got on offer, they'll get a good field. But uh, if they had a field like uh, say Bahrain, then uh, then that would again help tip it over for me. So I think they've got to package it up a little bit better for for the age group athletes and really sell it a lot more rather than just selling this race selling the overall package of right you can go to vienna family taken care of at this uh, this fantastic venue the kids are going to have a good time um and then then that would have more of appeal to me rather than just trying to spin it off as a championship race well i think the thing is we've got to give them a bit of a break here because i think some people have come in a bit harsh because to me we, we, you know, people go oh, history. How do you build? But how do you build history? You've got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, in some ways, not profit-wise, but if we think of the whole idea of a lost leader, the whole idea that I'm going to, I have to kind of take some losses before I actually make generate a, an income. Well, in this case here, for me to build a championship race that has credibility, I've got to start at some stage. And sure, we can say, well, rote is the obvious answer to this, but rote's such a it's it's already an iconic race. It already mm. sells out, so they don't need rote to be built higher. Um, the only thing is, you could say we could use the qualification of rote as 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 the kind of the appeal of getting other races. But I know I think you've got to go. Let's give them a chance. Mm. And I do think the pros put money's a problem. I do mm. think you know for a championship race that needs to like it needs to have everyone there. Mm. If you really want to, you know, it needs to appeal exactly. to all the top people and. With this level of prize money, I'm, I'm pretty sure they won't get, you know, a championship race field. Mm. Um, but again, it's year one, mm. so I, like I hope, I really hope this becomes a race that in five, ten years from now we're going. Oh my god! Look, can't wait to see this year's race. Look at the field, you know, and all the rest of it. Uh, like someone else said, whilst this is really cool, I would rather see an IT, you know. ITU really succeed and have a half distance race because then, then the, the big differentiating factor there is you're racing for your country and that has a lot more appeal I think for, for me and for a lot of other people so why that's where ITU I just go to a half distance race why, why do you have to have their own distance no oh, I don't know you it's know what I mean like it's, it's, it's a bit silly really because it's a differentiating factor as well yeah but really when we look at the sport mm. and we go we've got Ironman it's an obvious distance we've got half Ironman on Olympic and sprint mm. And I tell you've got this thing that's in the middle that, you know, mm. what, 2% of the Osher Eiffelon will do occasionally. It is a good distance, but, 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 but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, where the market is, whereas if, if Challenge would have gone to ITU and said, look, 
we want to do an ITU world distance half race mm. and it's going to be this championship race and people can race for their nations mm. that instantly gets a bigger crowd doesn't it yeah but like what they're doing in Canada yeah yeah and so for well, exactly me like I'm, I'm just not Canada. sure why ITU need to hold on to mm. a historic thing that's actually proven mm. by the market to not be that appealing mm. anyway so we're not quite there but give, give it a crack and uh, I th- yeah for me if I was European based uh, and if I was racing next season uh, I would quite well I'd strongly consider going to do that race and also the price has a big influence for me as well okay I've got a discussion in a week have you got one here I have which one's yours I, I sort of said because a lot of people said no they wouldn't go but I'm happy to go with it. I, my one was what would it take to get you to go to the championship we've probably already discussed that so go, go for it Bevan. go for it well this is this is just a funny like, you know I, just, I was just thinking today what have been things that have been all the go and then after the fact that just you looked like an idiot. Like gadgets yeah. over the years that were big for a moment and, mm-hmm. you know, like remember when they, everyone bought those bloody balance? Oh, those things, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, the balance wristbands because yeah. they're going to give you balance? Yeah. And it was just a total fad. Oh. And it was an actual lie. They got sued, I think, the company yeah. who actually bought it out. Um, and, you know, so over the years, what gadgets and, and real kind of extreme stupid ones like those balance ones, mm-hmm. but then also ones that we thought were really important and then over time – you know, they're just yep. no longer existent. And if you can find photos and you put them in your post, that would be good as well. <laughs> can you think of any? Uh, there was a moving seat, which you could uh, press a button and move the seat forward and back on oh, the, nice. on, on rails yep. uh, was one. What was that? So you could change body position? Yeah, for climbing and TTing. Oh. So you, you, know, you want to be really far forward when you're TTing. Uh, and a few shoe innovations, you know, they tried, some people sort of tried um, really easy access shoes and not necessarily velcro but different materials and okay. shoes so there we go guys That's what, mm. we what have been the strange innovations in our sport over the years um it'll be really interesting what people come up with okay john bow we're going to interview yes we're going to interview now peter vaughan who has did his 100th iron man last weekend in i'm in australia here he is peter Okay, so last weekend we had uh, Ironman Australia, as you've heard, and the weather looked a little bit inclement, to put it mildly. And one of the athletes out there doing it was uh, cranking up number 100 on the Ironman front in terms of completed races. His name's Peter Vaughan. He's of Australian descent, but we won't hold that against him. Um, So welcome along to the show, Peter. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, look, uh, just uh, before we go into, obviously, your, your previous 100 out there, um, what was the day like out there on uh, Sunday for, for yourself and uh, for everybody else? Because the pictures didn't paint a particularly rosy picture. Well, I thought it was actually a very good day. I thought the weather was pretty perfect, you know, just like a, a summer day in New Zealand. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was, it, if it was hot, it would have been worse. There wasn't that much wind. The wind came up at times, but... Gee, try and find an Ironman race anywhere where you don't get wind. So you've got to expect that. The rain made the roads a bit slippery, but it kept the temperature down. So you win some, lose some. Nice. And, um, yeah, so I guess um, where, did, where did it all start for you and why triathlon? Because uh, if, you, if you've done the 100 of them, you surely you started quite some time ago. Um, so where did it all start for you? Yeah, I started 28 years ago, which that makes it a bit easier to get up to 100. <laughs> and all my life, I'd always wanted to run a marathon, and um, I'd always loved distance running. And um, my wife got cancer, and when after she passed away, I thought, oh, well, now's my opportunity. I didn't feel like doing much except running a marathon, so I ran a marathon. And when I did that, I just felt, gee, there's nothing in a marathon. So I looked around and 
someone told me about the Ironman race and found out about that, entered it, and I just loved it from the moment I crossed that finish line. So uh, back in those days, back in the, 80, the, you know, the late 80s and early 90s, we, we've certainly heard from lots of different people um, who raced in that sort of era and, and very much said that it was, uh, it was an adventure and nobody really knew what they were up to. You kind of just went out there and survived. You didn't really know much about sports nutrition and, and so on. As you sort of, as the, the sport evolved, um, when, well, when did things really start to change in terms of people actually having a bit of a clue about what they were doing out there? I'd say it was about the mid-90s before we finally learned more about training. Otherwise, before that, you either went out and sprinted as hard as you could yeah, or as far as you could or you did the really long, slow distance, you know. One run a week was long, slow distance, but most of it was just sprinting as hard as you could, as far as you could. Really? And it wasn't until, I guess, the mid-90s that we had enough courage to try the sports drink on the course. Before that, we always did the the course just on jam sandwiches and water. (laughs) Nice. And how did that work for you? It it worked. (laughs) That's all that mattered. Yeah. um, And it would probably still work now. Salt didn't really come into it until, uh, I reckon, about the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So um, you've obviously, you know, you've, you've cracked 100, and some people will be wondering what sort of speed you do those at. But I noticed when I, I looked through your, your athlete's profile, um, you have actually qualified for, for Kona a couple of times. So maybe tell us about a little bit about your, your speed and how long you're, you're normally out there for. Okay, the only times I've qualified for Kona was back in the early days when there weren't all that many people competing. <laughs> and the, the silly thing was I didn't go then because they all told us Kona wasn't worth going to. Really? <laughs> and by the time I wanted to, to qualify, it, um, it just got too hard. But I can recall once at the roll-down spot, the guy saying, who wants to go to Kona? There's a spot left over. Does anyone want to go? And no one stood up. Really? Really? Yeah, that's right. And that was at the Australian roll-downs. Wow. Anyway, yeah, so but back then I was doing 12 hours comfortably and um, and very consistently 12 to 12 hours 30, um, which I thought was pretty good because I was raising a couple of kids and that, and we just knew nothing about nu- nutrition and training. And um, I, like these days, I would have loved to have had a coach and all that sort of stuff, but now I'm, I'm sitting on... 14 and a half hours. I did, I think, 14.45. I haven't looked at my time yeah. from the weekend. Yeah. But it's, um, and I'm pretty consistent now with the 14 and a half, yeah. um, which I'm quite happy about because I'm 63. Yeah. What, 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 in regards to, you know, watching the importance of Kona come along, because you've been in the sport for so long, so you've seen that moment where obviously it was a, always been an interesting race to follow for the pros, but the appeal of the age groups definitely obviously wasn't as big early on. At what moment did you see Kona become a more important thing for the age grouper? Um, it was really oh, about 10 years ago. Suddenly really? it became big and everyone wanted it to go. For the five years before that, people were taking an interest. But from 10 years ago, people were desperate to, to go there. It's actually about 12 years ago that I decided, yes, I would like to, to go to Kona. And I looked around and suddenly everyone else had the same idea. <laughs> and when you actually made it over there, um, was it what you expected and, and sort of did, did the, the whole event deliver? I thought it was even better because it was more laid back, more relaxed. Oh, um, 
yeah, people kept saying to me, oh, you go to Kona, it's all hype, and guys walking around in their budgie smugglers and things like that. And I got there, and everyone's friendly, everyone's relaxed. There was no posing or showing off. And it's a very low-key race, but it's a fantastic feeling cycling through the lava fields and things like that. Mm. So it is good. It's an amazing race to do, and I, it's, it's good now that everyone can do it once you get to the legacy. Exactly. So for you, you know, I, I, there was an article on you on Ironman.com. You, you become a, a global superstar in the last couple of weeks, which is great because what you've done is pretty awesome. Um, but the first 15 years, it sounded like you're only doing um, one Ironman a year, which makes getting to 100 uh, even more impressive. So maybe talk us through how, you, how your progression up to 100 has gone. Yeah, okay. Well, up until I had done 15, it was just one a year. And then I was um, just thinking about it and I thought when I retire, I'll go and do lots of Ironman. And so many people I know, by the time they retire, their bodies are broken down and they can't do Ironman or whatever they want. And I looked at my father who worked a pretty hard life and by the time he was 60, he had trouble running 100 metres. Mm. And I thought, I don't want to be like that. So when I was 52 or 53, I started taking three months off a year and just travelling the world and doing Ironman. And it would just be take a week here or two weeks there. And I'd, so I make a point of having one or two trips a year just to, to do Ironman. And I'd go to Europe or America and do three tri- three races in three weekends. Mm. And I got to quite like that. It becomes a bit habit for me. <laughs> and I've dug into my superannuation. I've got to work now until I'm 70, which I don't mind doing. Yeah. And and um, But I'm really enjoying life now. We just, you know, we love the, the travel. You're mixing with very positive people, and you're going to places you wouldn't otherwise go to. So last year I did 11 Ironman races. One year I did 12. Goodness. And it's a quiet year for me if I only do seven or eight. Was, was the goal always to get to 100, or was it just like, I just want to race? The goal it was never to, to get to 100. I just enjoy doing Ironman, but I was wanting to get around the world to do all the different races. And it wasn't until I um, got to 90 I thought, gee, you know, I can do 100 this year. So that's when I did the extra, few extra races and got to 100. But up until, oh, I guess I was about 96 or 97, it just seemed too far away. I thought I'd never get there. Mm. And when, you, when you're actually going out there, you know, if you, you know, I know when I, I do an Ironman, um, I'm a bit of a spent force for, for, for a fairly good period afterwards. Um, and I go, you know, I really go deep in the well in terms of pushing myself. So when you're out there, you know, are you out there just – enjoying it, um, loving the experience, or are you, are you racing all of these ones really, really hard? And, and does that sort of act as, as part of your training? Because we know guys like Pete Vabrusic, who's the great you know, um, athlete who goes around for, on a professional level and does loads, and, and he really uses the races as training as well. He doesn't actually train that much. Um, so how is, how is it for you, and how hard do you go when you're out there racing? I feel you've still got to dig deep. You've if you're not going to put a serious effort in, you just shouldn't go out there. It's not for people to walk and finish. And I've also got blood pressure problems. My arteries are very rigid. So the doctors have told me not to get my pulse above 120 or 130 when I do the races, yeah. which it's, it's fairly easy because my resting pulse was 38. Yeah. But I can't try and do sprints. I've just got to sit on my steady pace which is about the 13.5 to 14.5-hour pace, and I just sit there and I'm comfortable. So I dig deep by 
just always trying to finish in that 14 and a half hours, and I never find the last two legs of the run easy. Mm. Um, but at, at the same time, I don't try and bust a boiler because I probably would bust a boiler if I went too fast. <laughs> and so what's your day job that, uh, you know, you said you're going to have to work till, you, till you're 70. I'm sure people are intrigued as to what your day job is to, to allow you to have this somewhat flexible lifestyle. Yeah. Um, well, I'm an orthodontist and I am my own boss, so that makes it oh, a bit easier. Very good. But do, do, but just in regards to, you know, like because – you know, for people who first start Ironman, there's all these lessons we need to learn. And then once you've done one, you kind of have the inside of the first race. And then, you know, you've done a few and obviously you kind of have an understanding of, you know, the, how to race an Ironman. For yourself who's done 100, have the insights shifted as time's progressed or very much have just kind of learnt this kind of method that you trust and stay within? Like what has been the evolution of your wisdom in the sport? Well, it's still probably the same thoughts I had when I, my first race because the first one I did, there were 300 competitors and I came out of the water, I was 20th last, got off the bike, I was 6th last and I overtook 150 people on the run. <laughs> and I still say the run's what makes an Ironman. Save that bit of energy. If you can run the full run leg, you'll overtake, you'll do so much better than other people. So mm-hmm. don't burn it on the swim or the bike, but um, feel free to dig deep on the run. And in terms of your, your races, you know, you've got a 100 under the belt. Um, have you had any DNFs out there? No, no DNFs for Ironman. I, I did DNF Ultraman a couple of years ago. I completed one year, and I think I took it too much for granted and DNF that. Um, I don't know if you know the Ultraman, but it's a 10-kilometre mm. swim, 420k cycle, and then an 84k run, and I pulled out it. 74k in the 84k run. Oh, <laughs> that's got to hurt. What happened? Well, it was it was in Canada and it was all downhill and my quads were shot. Uh, 10k. Day and 10k of downhill and I just, my quads weren't up to it and the heat, up until then we'd been running cross country on long fire trails and things in shade and then it was just sun through the streets going through town and I, it just wasn't in me, really. Mm. That's the only time I've, I've DNF'd a race ever. Yeah. And in terms of doing different distances, though, you, you know, you mentioned Ultraman there, and you also, but you also mentioned that you know your heart rate um, can't get that high. So you, do you really just stick to to the Ironmans, or do you sometimes do some halves and things like that? No, no, I don't do the halves, and I reckon the half is just as hard as the full. So if anyone's listening thinks, well, I'm doing halves, and I don't think I can step up. You can always step up. It's, um, there's no difference in the difficulty of the two. And um, I stopped doing halves a long time ago. And if I did a half, it'd be the same speed anyway. So I may as well do a full. <laughs> nice. Why, why do you love it so much? You know, you've obviously committed a massive part of your life to this sport and this experience that you seem to love. What, what is it that Ironman brings to your life? Um, there's a few things, but I relax runs and long swims i really it's it's part of me i built mentally and physically for endurance sports um but plus i enjoy the training as much you can't do a hundred iron man if you don't enjoy the training mm. and my training includes the saturday rides with the newcastle triathlon club and they're a great group of guys to train with and a lot of my um, cycling is just to and from work with my wife every day we work together but we hop on our bikes 12k to work 12k home 
And that's an important part of training. It's a great way to start the day, riding to work with your wife. Mm, nice. Now, when you um, add up your, your 100, um, I, I noticed, again, on Athlinks that you had uh, rote in there. It was one stage, challenge rote. So do, when you count your 100, do you include uh, non-Ironman-branded races as well? Yep, yep. Yeah. I include all Ironman distance, yeah. but they don't have to be Ironman-branded. Yeah. Do you have any races, like when you've done 100 of the bloody things, Like, do you have any races that particularly stand out for you? Um, yeah, there are actually. And you've got one in the South Island, which is one of the toughest ones in the world, I reckon. Mm. And I did it again this, this year because they cancelled Melbourne on me. Mm. And I love it because it's tough. But Lanzarote is the toughest. And to me, the tougher the race, the better it is. Um, I really want to look back afterwards and think, yep, I dug deep today. Mm. And, yeah, so, yeah, I don't think um, – in America, they're dumbing down Ironman a bit and they're dumping a few of the harder races, but I like the hard ones. Nice. So Challenge Wanaka is what we've got down here in New Zealand, which we uh, love in the South Island. Yep. Have there been races that you've, you've travelled to – we don't want to slag people off or anything like that too much – but any races that sort of haven't met your expectations when you, you were buzzing maybe to get there or you thought this is going to be a wicked one and, and it just ended up being a bit of a flop? No, I've pretty well loved them all, but you've got to understand when you go to America, there's 3,000 people on the course. Yeah. And most of them – I think it's great they get weekend warriors out there, but they've got no idea about cycling. They're all over the road. Um, they're drafting, they're chatting, and it's great they're out there. People are out there doing Ironman, but it's quite different to Australia where people know how to ride. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it makes me feel like a great cyclist when I'm in America. In Australia, I'm not a good cyclist. Over there, I am. Nice. Did you end up like you said? You, you kind of the goal originally was to set out to do them all. Uh, they keep adding them, so which doesn't really help. But um, <laughs> have, have you done them all? No, I've I've done over thirty, and there's forty on the circuit. But three of the ones I've done, they've pulled the plug on. So I'll probably never get there. But I enjoy. It's the journey we're here for. Yeah. It's not the, the destination. Yeah. It's like a hundred's just a number. Yeah. It's the yeah. journey I love. And um, in, in terms of the, the response from Iron Man and stuff, obviously, as I mentioned, they did an article on you last week. You know, um, and I know generally in at New Zealand, Iron Man New Zealand, and I, th I believe Iron Man Australia as well, they're quite good at recognising people that do the race. You know, ten times, twenty times, thirty times, whatever it might be. What's sort of your experience been with probably both the, the Iron Man family, as we say, and then maybe challenge and, and other race organisers? Yeah, I, I find in Australia, New Zealand, they are really good. They're very friendly races. Um, I've done Wanaka three times. I did Cairns when it was a challenge race. And this 10 times thing, I'm a, um, a 10 times finisher in New Zealand as well, New Zealand Ironman, and I love that Taupo race. Overseas, the philosophy is often one and done. Yeah. And the Americans go out, do one, and brag for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's just a different mindset over here. Mm, mm. Um, and what's the what's the plan now? Like you know, you said you're sort of going to keep plugging, plugging, plugging away. Um, do you have any milestones you want to meet, or is it really just a case of uh, just keep enjoying what you're doing? Well, uh, when I first started, and after I've been doing it for about five years and really enjoying it, I thought, wouldn't it be great to be able to do this when I'm fifty and, gee, perhaps even sixty? 
Well, now I'm 63. I'm saying I really want to still be doing it when I'm 73 for another 10 years. And if I keep doing them for another 10 years, there's the, t- the four Australian races I'll do every year, which yeah. that includes Taupo. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> You're claiming New Zealand <laughs> as part <laughs> of Australia. It's like, yeah. Tim, it's like Neil Finn over again. <laughs> yeah, we've got the three on the mainland and the one on the eastern island. <laughs> <laughs> and if I travel every year or every second year and get a couple of races on the trip, I'll get another 50 up in the next 10 years. So I'm, yeah, I've decided to aim for 150. Nice. But, but regards to that, body management, you know, like as we age, uh, you know, we do need to – what demands we can put on our body shift and how we look after our body shift. So uh, when it comes to the management of your body, is that something you need to put a lot of energy into or are you just quite lucky in that you don't have that many problems? I've really never had a sports injury. It's um, – I've, now, when I was for the first five years, my legs just hurt all the time, and, and perhaps even the ten years. I used to think, I wonder what it feels like not to have aching legs. Mm-hmm. But now, I really have no problems. That the ligaments got tougher, the muscles got stronger, and I just no longer get injuries, no Achilles problems, nothing. But the rest is a very important part of training, so everyone's got to remember that. Mm. Fantastic. So what's what's your schedule for the rest of the year? Obviously, you've just done um, Australia. You've got Cairns coming up, I guess, in, in June. What's on, on the radar for the rest of this year? Just Cairns and Bustleton. I'm just doing all the local ones this year because, um, yeah, I've, I've been invited overseas to lecture at a few universities and conferences, and I've always turned them down because I was too busy doing Ironman. And mm-hmm. my, my wife wants to see some of the, a bit more of the world. So mm. we're, we're going, travelling a bit and doing a few conferences. Fantastic. So yep. if, if people want to follow you or they're um, interested in what you're up to, do you, do, you, do you keep a website or anything like that or they need to come over to a Newcastle training session to, to meet the great Peter, Peter Vaughan? It's, I don't keep a website. I keep thinking I've got to because people keep saying, I'm doing this race, what do I have to do? What's it going to be like? Yeah, I yeah, want to do a website just to help people like that. Yeah. And to... Yeah, just so they know it. And I started, but I never kept it, but I'm going to do it soon. Yeah. And I've always thought I'd love to do a book, but I'll do a website called The World of Iron Man. Very good. Oh, once yeah. you've got that up and running, let us know and we'll share, share, the, share the world with that. That's awesome. No, we're fantastic achievement. 100 Ironmans is, uh, is crazy and, um, and, yeah, just love the attitude that you've got and um, the outlook on racing and staying healthy. So all the best with your future endeavours and, and no doubt we'll see you uh even back in Hawaii one day. Yep, thanks. And you didn't ask me if I got an. A oh, tattoo, yes. Tattoo. Have you got the I am tattoo or have you got the challenge tattoo? I almost got an M dot tattoo and then I thought, no, you don't put bumper stickers on Ferraris. Oh, <laughs> nice. 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 Oh, get that one, put that, in, put that Cla- on a your A classic bike Ferrari, too, isn't it? It's a classic Ferrari. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Peter. And okay, uh, guys. good luck with the rest of your racing. Uh, yep, I'll see you around sometime. All the best. Awesome, thanks, mate. Jombo, we, we actually did that interview before we've done this bit, or after we've done this bit, so we don't know what happened, but we sure was legendary. 100 right, man. <sighs> that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm. Man, it's a lot. Okay, John, sponsor. Immune Boost pulled me back from the brink last week. I rang up Bevan midweek, and he was sick as a dog, and I wasn't very sick. I got a little bit sick, but I've, Immune Boost pulled me back from the brink yet again. I should have got some. 
You should have. Yeah. Yeah. So because uh, I, I wasn't sick as a dog, but I I don't get sick often. You didn't sound very good. No, I was definitely kind of. Meh, meh. So my strategy with immune boost is whenever I feel anything remotely coming on, I, uh, I'll be I use it all the time when I go through camps, etc. Um, but especially if I get sicker or feel any sickness coming on, start slamming it down, and man, it just makes a, a really big difference to me. So I did 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 lull into it a little bit of sickness, but I was able to train through it. Didn't have to miss any sessions came back out the other side so a lot of people get a lot of consistent feedback from others around that as well is uh, fantastic um, fantastic multivitamin for, for really keeping you nice and healthy and so I should really start sharing a bit more with Bevan. Well I think the thing that's really important is that what, one of the keys to being a successful athlete is consistency mm. you know and what one of the big factors that hurts consistency is Sickness. your health yeah. yeah and so if your health is not playing the game you want to do everything that's going to prevent you from from sickness. Now, obviously, things like immune boost are obviously good nutrition and sleep and stuff like that as well, um, and rest strategies. But the more I can stay healthy in my training, the more I'm going to train, which increases the chances of me being a better performing athlete. So this is just one of those pieces that helps that formula. And one other item I really want to push as well is Fuel 5. Um, so if you fuel guys... Five. Fuel 5. You're looking for a slightly slower-releasing carbohydrate drink, Check it all out. Um, I should have taken it, taken a bit of my own medicine last weekend because I'll talk a little bit later in the show about uh, an interesting little experience I had when I was out training on Sunday. Did you um, blow? I, I exploded. So uh, the, the diet didn't help you in that moment? It didn't. Um, mm. But I basically didn't feel myself well and uh, I can assure you that the next couple of sessions, long, hard sessions I go and do, I'll be out there using a little bit of Fuel 5 really to make sure that I get that sustained release over a long period of time rather than trying to have those... Uh, those you know, short sugar spikes. So check it all out at xendurance.com. Okay, extreme endurance, guys. We've got another interview coming up. Uh, Jumbo, who we got? We've got Mark Livesey, and he is going to talk to us about military sort of applications for triathlon and also about a new product that he's got out called Exhale. Okay, here we go. Okay, guys, um, we are going to have a bit of an interesting discussion here today with Mark Livesey, based in the UK. Um, he's got a military background. We're going to see how we can... Yes, sir! <laughs> we can uh, sort of translate that stuff across to triathlon and also talk about a new platform that's out there for, for coaches and athletes called Exhale. So, Mark, welcome along to the show. Yeah, good morning, guys. It's great to chat to you. So tell us a bit about your background, sort of from a, a working point of view, racing, and then also getting into your, into coaching. Um, so yeah, as you've already um, mentioned, my as a young boy, I joined the army um, at 19 and served 22 years. Um, and my, my, my main job was uh, an army physical training instructor uh, for a long period of that time, and Within that career, um, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to certain courses, quite arduous courses, uh, and passing them as a young soldier, and then um, imparting my knowledge as an instructor, um, taking people through and getting them ready for these type of courses. Uh, so I, I don't know if you're familiar. I mean, the New Zealand Army pretty much copies uh, the military sort of model, um, where we have airborne forces and Royal Marine commandos and that kind of stuff. So it was those kind of courses that, uh, I was involved with and it attracts a certain type of person. Um, so yeah, I was fortunate to see, um, 
what 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 works, what doesn't work when it comes to try and motivate, but also trying to elicit certain stresses that again will develop an individual. Mm. So yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting to see how young men who you wouldn't expect to cope with certain environments do. Yeah. Um, and the opposite as well, where you know you would see a guy and you, you know you would you put money on this guy passing or doing a certain thing, but he would fold. Um, so yeah, really, really, really interesting. And there's certain things that I sort of cherry picked over those 22 years, which I now use in my sort of coaching philosophy to get the best out of uh, the athletes. Because what I wanted to do was to get the best out of uh, these young soldiers because um, we wanted to pass these courses, um, you know. So, yes, it was uh, interesting stuff, yeah. So what's just for, for myself included, yeah, I don't have a clue what sort of military training people do. So how, how do, what do you actually have to go through if you want to you sign up? <laughs> Not that this is an advertisement for anybody to sign up yeah, to be yeah, in the military. Yeah, sure. what, what, do, what do you sort of have to go through? I think, I mean, I mean, you know, you men and women who join the army or the, the RAF or, or whatever, and there's a, there's a basic course, uh, you know, and no disrespect to the people who join at that level. You know, the, the, the clue is in the name. It's a basic course. And when and when they join, like I joined uh, as a young soldier, at the time I thought, this is, you know, people shouting and swearing at you and you're cold and miserable. Um, but on reflection, that phase is relatively easy compared to uh, what I was exposed to later on in my army career. And it's things that I wasn't aware of until I was in the army. Um, and very much like people out, out there in the Ironman world, um, they attract a certain type of person. An Ironman event attracts a certain type of person. They're the high achievers, essentially. You know, whether it's in business, academics, or in athletics um and i i saw that in the military world when i was involved in the army triathlon team because i was the the coach for a number of years it attracted a certain type of person and within that demographic uh, there was a high percentage of soldiers uh who would come from a special forces type background whether that's airborne forces or uh, royal marine commando forces that kind of stuff it it, it pulled these people towards that type of sport and because for me having having experienced uh some of these courses in the military um nothing quite elicits the same discomfort and pain than an ironman and specifically the ironman run i don't know anything out there that's that takes you to that dark dark place and you know you've mentioned it many many times with lots of coaches and athletes out there there's nothing quite like it and it attracts a certain person because we do it because it's hard you know and that's what it's about and iron man is bloody hard um you know and i i can think back and count on on one hand where i've been in a in a world of hurt and probably three of those are in an iron man and the, the other two were carrying a telegraph pole or a, a stretcher on my shoulder for, for eight miles. You know, it, it's the same. It takes that same place. Um, and I think that's why it attracts these type of people, these high achievers, you know. So, yeah. 
So in terms of what you're sort of teaching the, the soldiers, as if we sort of go back to your military training, um, you, you, you mentioned some characteristics that you kind of see that, that often correlate to success. So what, what are some of those characteristics? I think, I think the first thing with this, so I'll, get, I'll give you an example with one particular course, and it's, it's called P Company, um, which, which essentially is a three-week course where you just get thrashed. Um, but at the end of that course, you're then entitled to um, be a military parachutist, uh, which in itself is, it, it tests the nerve, you know, because this isn't conventional parachute. You know, you, you, you're getting thrown out of a back of a C-130, 800 foot at night with kit strapped to your leg. Uh, and it's a dangerous occupation. And you volunteer to do this. And you do this because <coughs> it's difficult and it's hard. Um, and to a certain extent, I think it's about bragging rights and the respect that you get from your peers and your friends and your family uh, when you achieve that goal. And it's the same for Ironman, mm. you know. Uh, you, you, you'll, you'll know it's, especially in, in the corporate world uh, out there, it's, it's, about, it's about dick swinging, it's about bragging <laughs> rights. That's what it's about. You, 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 you sort of pull away that, that thin veneer of uh, why people do Ironman specifically is they want to hold court at the dinner table and people want to talk about how crazy you are because the general public look upon people who do Ironman with with quite a strange, you know, uh, intrigued sort of fascination. Uh, and I think as an Ironman athlete, we thrive on that. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons we do it. Uh, is, is that ego, um, you know, and it's and it's a, it's a it's a huge eclectic mix of people and occupations, but they all want the same thing, and they all do it because it's bloody hard, and not everybody can do it. So, um, so, so if you go back to the the kind of when you're teaching those young soldiers in the parachute yeah. course, you know, yeah. often the keenness is there, but as as the person who's kind of the mentor through it there'll be a lot of kind of things that they need to discover. And, and what are maybe a couple of those key things that they need to discover in that moment? Yeah, so it's about, it's trying to elicit a certain response from the individual based on the environment that you put them in. And it, it, and it, could, it could be many, many different uh, sort of facets because, um, for instance, y you will get a young soldier or athlete who's very, very fit and they've prepared very, very well for this P company, for instance, over a, a three-week period. And, it, it's, you know, you're running around with heavy weight and you're doing assault courses, you're being screamed at. It's all very negative um, environment. You know, you don't get a pat on the back and a little wink and a thumbs up from the instructors. You know, on the contrary, it, it, it magnifies that self-doubt because feedback is something that you don't get. And any feedback that you do get from the instructor is delivered in such a way it's, it, it's basically trying to undermine and amplify this self-talk and this self-sabotage within that three-week process and, the, and and it weeds out the week very very quickly and it has nothing to do with the physical test the hard skills that's quite simple uh, and what we used to do as instructors um, when I was a younger in, in, instructor and quite naive when I had um, quite a bit of power over the people on the course and I look back and reflect on what I did and 
you could argue it was quite a toxic way to deliver what I was trying to do. Um, but looking back, I saw the importance of the coach or the instructor's influence on somebody's chances of success. Mm. And we would we would bet before a certain test, for instance, with each other's instructors. And our sole purpose was to break an individual. Uh, and you you could do that just by your body language or just by saying a few words. And you didn't have to be aggressive. You didn't really have to swear. It, it could be subtle. You would just plant a seed with the individual and that would manifest itself within within that individual and they would create the problem. And that's what we were trying to develop. Uh, the older I got, the more mature I got and the more I got into coaching and, and, and getting the best from people, I understood and realised how important that sort of process was. Um, so now, uh, at my later stages in the military, I, I used to do a lot of little test studies with uh, with, with my guys. I'd, I'd, I'd put hidden cameras uh, in certain scenarios and, and, and this, that and the other to, to get the best from them. Uh, and it wasn't about failing these individuals. My mindset totally changed to it's about getting the best from these people. I want them to pass. I want them to achieve. Whereas probably 10 years prior to that, my goal was to fail them, mm. was to make them fail as a younger soldier, naive. Um, but it's it's made me understand the power and the influence of somebody who can motivate you and mentor you in the right way. Um can I ask, did it hurt your outside relationships? Because if you've kind of got this part of your world where you are deliberately trying to break people and it's kind of teaching you behaviours and kind of, you know, to be quite a negative person on someone to ultimately try to make them better. But then when I go to the outside world, was that something that kind of damaged that for you? Um, I think, I mean, within within a military system, it's very hierarchical anyway. So it's all peer group driven. So the people who were attending these courses you know they span the globe so they, they would come from germany cyprus you name it they'd all come from different units for that three week period so i wasn't there or we weren't there to make friends you know uh they were there to pass a course that i had done and i'd experienced the same thing um but what presented itself the more i was exposed to that environment and and the older i got and the more um the more education and, and the more reading I, I did on it, because I, d- I did a, a sports psychology course as well, which, again, then confirmed what I was doing. He put, he put names to it, to these techniques, what I was doing inadvertently. Uh, it made me realise, because um, th- there's, a, there's a tendency uh, to have mission creep on these courses, and the instructors become very toxic, uh, and each course becomes harder and harder and harder mm. uh, because an individual, when he did it, they did this or this was a scenario and mm. and then the next course tries to do tries to outdo the next course and they try and fail more people. Uh, and it's very toxic and very corrosive. And before you knew it, you know we we would have more instructors on a course than students, <laughs> uh, which is, it's counterintuitive, yeah, yeah, you know, and and then I had like an epiphany. It was like just, you know, I woke up one day and I thought, what are you doing, Mark? Is wrong. You know, we want these people to be the best they can be. And it's your job 
to facilitate that. Mm. Uh, and I changed my whole attitude towards getting the best from somebody. And, and, and you know, John, you're a coach. You'll, you'll know what that's mm. about. Uh, and individuals are very complex people. Um, certain certain things work for some guys. Certain things don't work for other guys. And you as a coach, because you know these guys intimately, you know how to get the best from them because you're developing this relationship. Um, and, and, and for me, that's what it was about. So I've sort of cherry-picked a lot of stuff from from that environment and sort of applied it to uh, my coaching in the triathlon world now. Um, so I'm yeah. really interested to, to hear about that because obviously it's quite a different – I mean, I know there's different. There's some very similar characteristics between those that maybe sign up to the, the Army and, our, and, the, and the triathletes as well, but it's obviously a different game when, you know, you're, you're – it's you know lots of different individuals and they're going to have their you know you have males females etc and and you maybe the negativity does that work quite so well with the with the triathletes as opposed to what you were trying to get out of the soldiers you know often tr- coaches are, are you know really positive and giving really good feedback and trying to lift people up whereas in the the military it seemed like you were trying to bat bat people down so how did you sort of transfer those yeah, military skills it, to triathletes it, it, it is interesting john because you know what i'm saying now about so I'm, I'm putting this perception out to people that it's a very negative and very toxic environment and and it was because we're talking 20 years ago mm. um but things have changed and moved on uh, a lot and and now in fact uh, i'm invited up to give a, a presentation to uh this course as, as a civilian and i'm actually imparting my knowledge as an athlete and as a coach to get them to get the best from the course so i'll have 150 soldiers in front of me and um the attitude and our application of training now has changed across the board so the percentage rate for this particular course this peak course uh was about 45 50 percent pass rate which which ain't it's not great odds Mm. uh so i have a friend of mine who was the physical training instructor invited me up and he has a very similar attitude towards getting the best from soldiers and athletes. So we changed the model slightly, but the tests were exactly the same. Nothing changed. Physically, nothing changed. It was just our application on how we got the best from the soldiers. And over a very, very short period of time, the percentage rate went from 46 50% up to the 80s. So there's a pass rate of 80%. And that's massive. And, and and that was just because we we gave them knowledge and we we front-loaded and gave them the tools in which to cope with the environment that we were going to expose them to over that three-week three period. And and their, their physical and psychological state is very, very similar to pre-race Ironman, you know, two, three days before, you know, you are super stressed, you know, uh, you, you have self-doubt, you have performance anxiety, you have it all. And it's exactly the same for these guys who wanted to do this course. But what we what we gave them was uh, an understanding of the emotions that they were going to be going through at particular tests. And for instance, I would tell them, uh, if an instructor is speaking to you and pulling you out of a certain situation 
and he's trying to needle you, the way you've got to understand that situation is that he's not actually trying to um, break you uh, in in that environment in a negative way. He's not bullying you. He's not picking you out. He's not victimising you. What he's doing, he 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 knows that that guy's a strong, physically strong individual, and he can't beat him by thrashing him up and down because he can cope with that stress. So he has to find another facet in which to try and needle this individual. So we tell the soldiers that this is another way, another ploy of them trying to undermine their performance to a certain extent. Mm. And it's getting them to cope with that. And, he, and, and so then what I say to them is that actually, so this guy is needing you for one reason only. It's because you're strong and, because, and it's because you're good mm. and that you're coping really, really well on the course. So he's having to fr- find a different avenue in which to try and, you know, undermine that. Um, and if you give him, if you give him that knowledge prior to these certain scenarios, and it's the same with Iron Man, you know, if you talk in depth about um, the environment that you're exposed to. I mean, an experiment I did with with the soldiers, and you could do it with athletes as well, where just with a heart rate monitor, you can get them in the room and lie them down, and then talk about an Iron Man swim start, pound to a pinch of shit, all their heart rates are just going to go through the roof, you know, they're going to be twitching, even now thinking about an Ironman swim start, my heart rate's already elevated, it, it elicits a response, because there's nothing quite like it, um, you know, for some people, they struggle with that, with that environment, so you're giving them the tools to cope with that situation, mm. um, so that's, that's the sort of, so in the Ironman world, for me, I'm very uh, black and white with my delivery and style of coaching. You know, I don't, I don't suffer fools, and I won't. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, autocratic as such. I'm very, very positive when it needs to be. But the athlete, my athletes, know when they've performed because I get quite animated and excited. Um, but they also know when I'm not happy with them. And I think that's important that athletes need to know actually if they've procrastinated on a particular session or they've done something um, that has undermined their overall training block or session or whatever mm. through choice, not through mm. life circumstances, because that that's clearly not fair because these guys aren't professional athletes, mm. the majority of them. Uh, I think it's important that the athlete knows that. Um, you know, because it makes them stronger. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially what I do, and I think it works very, very well. And by the time they're at a stage where they're racing, their confidence in their own ability has increased, you know, exponentially, and that's what it's about. You know, the, the physical application of and prescription of training is very, very easy. You know, you can open any good sports phys- physiology book, and it's there. Mm. Uh, it's it's the softer skills and it's the emotion um, and the development of a relationship and understanding the athletes' strengths and weaknesses. And, and that's and, ultimately what you guys are doing when you were, yeah, you know, is creating yeah. pressure so people know how to handle pressure. Yeah, it's really, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I've been in in um, an environment where I had to take soldiers who'd come back from very very tough environments where, you know. 
they've seen and done things that you wouldn't want to see and do. And that affects uh, people, you know, in a very negative way. Uh, and, and the way we used to um, um, sort of bring them out of that environment is, is, is to expose them to other environments, uh, you know, so they can sort of decompress from that from that um, situation they were in. Uh, but so you'll have highly, highly trained uh, soldiers to do, you know, they're not pleasant jobs what they do. When they go out and they're war fighting and they're patrolling, you know, in Afghanistan, I don't, I don't want to go into too much war mm. details because I don't want to alienate people. But, um, you know, they don't have a choice. They do what they do and they're, and, they're, and they're trained to do something that's not particularly pleasant. The downside of that is they come back and, you know, uh, they've then got to fit in with everybody else. But so somebody who's trained to be exposed to certain dangers out in theatre, Afghanistan, for instance, these are very, very brave uh, men and women. And they cope very, very well with that environment. And yet I'll have the same soldiers and I'll put them in a kayak and they'd be like a shitting dog, you know, <laughs> because it's 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 a different environment and, and, and it's a different stressor, but it will elicit the same response. And what we do, or we, what we used to do, is is to try and expose this situation where it puts an athlete into stretch so they can cope with that situation, uh, but not too much as to, as to where they panic and it actually compromises that development. Mm. Uh, and in the military, we were very, very good at exposing uh, young soldiers, male and female, to those stresses and it's prescribed in a very very clever way now you know we've we've turned full circle especially in the special forces world you know it's very very it's delivered in a way that's all about getting the very best from the individual um and we've moved away from the effing and jeffing and the screaming and the shouting um that does happen but when it's been delivered in such a way it's delivered in a way that the instructor knows why he's doing that mm. and it's to elicit a certain response. It's just not because the guy's a dickhead. Yeah, or uh, to prove my ego. Yeah, no, and you're exactly right because I, I was that person 15 years ago stood at the top of a hill screaming, shouting, saying, you know, in my little white vest. <laughs> uh, you, you know, and, that's, and that's, e that's, an, that's the easiest thing to do. It's mm. the easiest thing to do because you hold all the power Um you know, there's a term that we use uh, when we're in the military. It was called the PTI's legs. And essentially what that meant is I would go out and take a run. And because I knew what pace I would be running and what distance I would be running, and when I changed the pace, you know, uh, I was in charge. I, I held all the cards. And you could break the squad of uh, soldiers, male and female, very, very quickly because they had nothing. You know, you have all the power uh, and they have nothing. They have no knowledge of what that run is going to be. And as such, uh, it undermines their performance. Mm. Um, but you give them you give them that control and they'll run all day. You're giving me uh, ideas for uh, Epic Camp now. <laughs> just John's gonna, run. You're just going to come on Epic Camp and you just turn up. We do have an element of that. I don't give away too much. But just each day get up and say, right, 
follow me. And 15 hours later, we'll arrive somewhere. <laughs> hey, so Mark, to tell us a bit about, um, obviously, you've got this huge amount of knowledge in military. Obviously, that's, that's sort of morphed into, into you coaching and your, and your racing. Um, but then you've come up with a, a new platform called X- Exhale. So maybe just explain to us, a lot of people won't have ever heard of um, yeah, yeah. Exhale. Maybe explain to us what it is um, and, and how people can use it. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, in the military, when I when, when I discovered track, um, it was something that, I, I mean, there'll be loads of people out there will have that day where they did a triathlon, and that was it. It just hooked them. Uh, and and if like me, you have an addictive nature, then you're in. It's an all or nothing approach, and there's so many people out there that have that all or nothing approach, and that's why Ironman is so popular because. All these high achievers want to want to get there. Um, so I've been doing triathlon uh, fifteen, maybe twenty years, um, and in that time, I've sort of cherry picked what I think works and what I don't think works. And um, when I left the military, I, I had no intentions whatsoever of uh, designing a platform and selling it essentially to coaches for them to use as their platform. Um, I just sort of stumbled upon it by accident because the platforms that were out there at the time, uh, I used one particular platform, and I, and I just didn't I didn't like I didn't like the artificial intelligence that was applied to the platform, and too much reliance uh, was dependent on these algorithms, which for me um, didn't accurate, accurately sort of um, depict or forecast form or you know training ability and, and absorption of training and you know the training effect um so i had a i had a friend who i met on twitter actually a program writer and i just asked him can you just knock me up a very simple uh training diary where i can chat to my athletes and it can collect certain information and i did that for about six to 12 months and the thing was just getting bigger and bigger and he was writing a bit more code for me and I said, oh, can you do this and can we put this in? And then we sort of came to a point. I'd never met Alan, my, my, my business partner and the code writer. And we just came to the conclusion, said, you know what, we, we can make this into something uh, that I think other coaches and other athletes would want to use. Because it's purely for triathlon and triathletes. It's not a, it's not a platform that's been shoehorned for something else. It's not swim, bike, run is triathlon um and so it's sort of grown and developed from there really and we've we've not been precious about the platform at all in fact we actively encourage coaches and athletes out there to get in touch with us and, and give us their suggestions on what they want to see on the platform and we've had some real gems you know and uh like 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 my coaching philosophy i'm cherry picking what the athletes want and what the coaches want and we write the code and we drop it into the software and um you know we've had we've we've had a lot of coaches who've used other platforms and moved over to our platform which is encouraging uh and very rewarding it means actually the money that we're investing and the time that we're investing means actually what we're producing people like um you know and you know it, it goes back to what I've intimated earlier on. The platform is about 
coach-athlete relationship, essentially. Um, and it's still synced with Garmin, and you can get all your power stats, and, you know, you can find yourself a dark room and look at all your graphs and all that kind of stuff, you know, so your geeks can get off on it. But you complete novice can use this platform. You don't need a Garmin. You don't need a high monitor. You can log your training, and it will collate and, and show you long-term training plans, your training effect, you know, your prescription application of training, your intensity, and, you know, and you can do it without any gadget. Uh, so from complete novice to your super geek who loves all his gadgets, it, 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 it you know, it, every athlete there it will fit everybody's athlete sort of profile, really. Um, and we're coming up with some really good functions. Um, we've just got Stride involved as well, the, the, the power running oh, nice. uh, device. And we're writing separate code for that. Um, but we're also uh, chatting with, I don't know if you've uh, got wind of this, so I'm quite excited about this. We're actually chatting to a company that are developing a power swim paddle, would you believe? All oh, right. Have you have you heard any of this one, John? Yeah. No, no. But is, so, is it going to be? Uh, a, a, yeah. A pedal. Yeah. So imagine I don't, I don't I don't suppose you have a knuckle duster in your top drawer in your man drawer at home. A what? You know, a knuckle duster when you put them oh, on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a knuckle duster. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, essentially, it, it it slides over your two middle fingers. The paddle itself sits within the palm of the hand. It doesn't exceed the palm of the hand. And it's full of sensors, uh, one on each hand. And the data that you're going to gather from that, it's super exciting um, because it'll, it'll show you pitch, angle, you know, it'll tell you efficiency of the stroke. I mean, you know, and I know that front cross swimming essentially is about perfecting that forearm and getting that right angle as quickly as possible. So you're maximizing surface area when you, when you produce the pull phase. So with this paddle, it will tell you what angle your hand is at during that pull phase, which for me, and, and the whole concept of the stroke and the balance of the stroke versus left arm and right arm, you know, so I've been chatting to this, this company and, and this particular guy and, and my eyes lit up when I heard, I thought, wow, what a clever idea. Uh, and it's actually, I think it has real practical uh, benefits for the athlete and it's not a gimmick like a lot of the stuff is. Uh, that you can buy in the triathlon world. I think this will really help swimmers and coaches, um, you know, because the technology is just going, it's going nuts mm -hmm. uh, with what you can do now. So, yeah. So, so back, back to Exhale, though. So it's basically for, for you know, really about enhancing the, the coach-athlete relationship for, for yeah. the athlete sort of, yeah. you know, it's a place where you can store your data either via your Garmin's or whatever devices you've got. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But or without. Or without. Um, and then from the coach point of view, it's, yeah, it's it, it, you're sort of focusing more on, I don't know, a better flow of communication is that sort of my yeah right yeah there? so yeah so you know I, I mean the coaches uh, the athletes that I'm coaching I'll be I'll be in communication with them every day mm. you know feedback on every session you know that we design the software in such a way that it's a constant flow of information via that particular session but also we have a, a message board as well where you can communicate uh, if you want to discuss other things but it's about the ease of communication and having no other, no other, so you don't need to text each other, you don't need to email each other. All the correspondence is via the platform. 
you know, it's very rarely that I have to speak to any of my guys on the phone because all the information uh, is on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot easier to, to do it that way. I mean, I've, I've some very, very busy athletes, as, 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 as you will, uh, mm-hmm. John. And, you know, I try and make it as easy as possible for these, for these people because time for these people is super precious. So we've designed the platform in such a way that it's all about saving time for the athletes and and that communication process. Um, you know, I've got I've got commercial airline pilots, I've got barristers, I've got surgeons, all on my books, and I can coach all of these guys, knowing that what I'm prescribing to them is prescribed on a day that they can do it. Because uh, there's nothing worse than throwing out a four week block to an individual, knowing that actually he's only going to do 50% of it because I don't know his work sh- uh, schedule uh, and I don't know his commitments. Mm. And, and for you as a coach, you're wasting your time mm. producing and building these training sessions, uh, assuming that he's going to hit all the sessions you know, within that block or that periodization or whatever you want to call it, knowing that actually he's not going uh, to hit him. Mm. So I only prescribe training knowing that there's a 90% chance that that guy's going to do it. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing as well with with the algorithms and and, and the sort of artificial intelligence is, as an, as an athlete, what we crave is positive feedback and interaction. That's what we want. Uh, you know, so when you do a good swim set and you've buried yourself, just a wink or a nod or a pat on the back from the coach and you will leave that swim session with with a skip in your step and it's you know and an algorithm doesn't give you that it will never give you that that's the thing um and it's trying to promote uh, that reward from the coach not from a you know a little smiley picture or, or a badge that says you've completed 500 miles in the last three weeks or whatever it's about the acknowledge the acknowledgement and the recognition and the sacrifice that you as an athlete are committing to and actually the person, uh, the coach, is rewarding that by, you know, giving you that pat on the back, giving you that wink and that nod saying, you know, because there's, there's nothing better when you've, when, you've, when you've done a great session and you get the recognition for it. Um, and, and for me, that's what the platform is all about. It's the athlete getting the recognition. Um, I mean, we, we do have a, a platform, a free actually platform for athletes so they can self-prescribe. Uh, so they can self-coach, um, you know. And again, it, that, that that platform costs absolutely nothing, uh, but it's just a good way for them to record and collate all their data. Um, but yeah, so essentially that's what it's about. We still use algorithms and we still, we're collating lots of data and we do lots of comparisons and, you know, we've got some unique stuff on, on the software where... So John, I'll give you an example. So this training camp that you're going to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I'll give you an example. Let's say there's 20 guys on your camp, all of various uh, sort of standards, etc. And you're going to deliver, uh, let's say you're going to deliver a 10 mile uh, time trial on the bike, sort of shake them out in some sort of dick swinging in order. Because mm-hmm. you know, and I know on the first couple of days, everybody just wants to find out who's who. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you will be able to do is, is prescribe the 10 mile uh, time trial and then. You'll have all these individual results from, from each athlete. But then what you'll be able to do as an athlete is you, you, you can overlay everybody's 
performance over each other. Mm. And then the software will tell you where gains were made on particular athletes. And we're doing this for races as well. So if you've got athletes in the same race or athletes that have done the same race year after year, we're creating some code where you just drop it onto the previous session or the previous race. And again, you can then look at it, interpret it and say, well, she, you know, of that five minutes that you PB'd from the previous year, this is where the specific gains were made or losses were made. Uh, and for me, that's what it's about as an athlete as well is, uh, I know who's the gentleman you spoke to last week, the American guy who bought the rubber uh, book. Jim, Jim Vance. Yeah. It's all about confirmation of training. Am I getting better? Am I getting quicker? Am I getting stronger? You know, and you can look at all the graphs all day, but there's nothing better. I mean, let's say we didn't have uh, Garmin or anything like that. All we had was an old school little watch on your wrist and a mile that you ran when you did your intervals. So we'll go back 20 years. How do you know you were going to get better? Well, you go and do that mile run and you do a similar session in, in a similar environment and you'd run those miles 10 seconds quicker. There's your confirmation. Mm. Um, so all we're doing now is dropping that information over the top of the previous year's race and you can pinpoint within that race where gains and losses were made. And you can do that for sessions, brick sessions, swim sessions, open water swim sessions and it's just confirmation to the athlete that you're getting stronger and actually the sacrifice and training that you're doing is paying off um, okay. you, you've just got to be able to quantify it really uh, so so exhale.com yeah it's train trainexhale.com okay yeah fantastic and we'll put yeah. a link to that on our website guys so thanks mate yeah. it's awesome mate it's great I found it really interesting just to kind of how the military shifted their approach to mm. how they grow people, how it went away from, you know, you proving yourself to me to me facilitating your growth was a pretty interesting stuff. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you want to check out, what is it? Exhale? Trainexhale.com. Okay. And basically it's a, it's, it's a program that helps you work with coaches to make you become a better athlete. Okay, Jonbo, my first try. Here we go. We've got an email through from John Pickford. He goes, hey, guys, thanks for your great podcast. It gets me through my long wind trainer turbo sessions. Hope this isn't too long. Good, long I, I almost vetoed this because I thought this looks really long. But then? I'm not going to do it. Then I actually try. read through it and I thought this is actually quite interesting. Okay, I work for an architect in Pembrokeshire, West Wales. Five years ago, my boss decided there would be a good idea to enter our work office team as a try in the local Olympic distance triathlon with himself as a swimmer. Um, with himself as a swimmer as we are all mostly surfers in the office we agreed this would be a good idea get to some good publicity as is a corporate team prize which we thought we would win how hard could it be right on the morning of the race we arrived and decided who would do what well so they hadn't even decided what they're doing before oh it's got pages this is rock okay you're running uh, the boss wanted to swim. I used my excuse of a snowboarding injury to get me out of the run. Uh, the run course went along the coastal path and looked pretty hilly. And our third team member wasn't there for the selection process, so was designated runner. Just before the start, I asked how long it would be for our swimmer to finish. He told me that it looked further than he had envisioned and that it may be back without the help of this, on the safety boat. Uh, once the excitement of the start had died down, I headed off to find where I had to put my bike in the transition area. So his bike wasn't even in the transition area as the start goes. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is definitely triathlon 101. 
by the time the leaders were out of the water and the transition area was starting to get busy, I decided I needed to take a pee, so I disappeared in search of the toilets. On my way back, I was met by our runner who looked a little bit flustered. By it, our runner. Yeah, by our runner, sorry. Mm. Uh, who looked a little bit flustered. It turned out that my boss had failed to mention that he used to swim as a national junior in the, the level of the US and he competed in the swim in the top 20 in the US. No, he completed the swim today in the top oh, 20. Oh, sorry, 20. I've gone all over the place. In top 20. Uh, I, meanwhile, hadn't even got my shorts and helmet on panic ensued following a swift and chaotic change into my shorts and bike helmet and the feeling a little bit embarrassed at our shambles of a transition i took off to try to make amends for my lack of readiness in transition one thanks to this one performance of my boss i was out on the road with the with the aero helmet and disc world crowd i stormed off passing one by one rumbling carbon bikes for the first 10k and then I paid for my early efforts. In my haste to get out of the transition area, I forgot to get water bottle and my mouth was completely dry. About 15 k's in, the cramp started in my calves and by the 20 k mark, I was lying on the side of the road with both legs completely seized. I somehow managed to make it back, by which point I must have been passed by pretty much everyone. Our second transition was much better, however. We forgot to give the timing chip to the runner, so he didn't actually register a time, which was probably for the best. Despite our lackluster performance, it did not turn us off. Four of us are now hooked on triathlon and have done countless races all over the country, 70.3s and full-distance events. We've since returned to that event of our debut triathlon and won the corporate team prize. I must add that I could not take any of the glory for that win as I was substituted <laughs> with the love I subbed out that was from Jonathan Pickford wow. so nice story I liked it it's a good effort yeah it's good effort. effort okay John we're not going to so many, so many people have started their triathlon careers from teams that's where I first started with a couple of schoolmates um, and yeah it's a cool so I think we should never underestimate the power of the team in terms of actually then getting people oh, yeah, to be involved no, in yeah. the sport. Yeah, when I do commentary at races that have teams, I'm always talking about that, you know, come along next time, do a team. Because you just, it, for a lot of people, it's just opening up possibility, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what a team allows people to do. So well done, John, and well done the corporate team at, uh, he's got the corporate name. Mm. Could have got you a lot of work there, John. I know. You know, we've got a massive following in Wales. <laughs> in West Wales. Patrons. Patrons, okay, Got John. one for you to do there, Bevan. I've done some, done all the others last week. We had none done before we started, and we did them on the fly. This week I've got a few of them done. Okay, well you do a few. I'm going to try to think of one right now. John Muncie. Mincer. Mincer Muncie, that's a good one. I, I don't know where it came from, but it just came up from Mincer. And uh, he's got on, on our I Am Talk website, on, he's got a nice picture of him wearing I Am Talk race gear. Uh, next one I've got, James Dirty Dog Spencer. Dirty dog. He's a Kiwi living in Brussels, and his picture that he sent through, he's running a race, but he's poking his tongue out at, uh, at a person taking the camera. So I thought, you know, poking his tongue out a bit like a dog is a dirty dog. James dirty Spence. dog, you dirty dog. David Meenan, the Patriot. Because he only decided to sign up to be a patron of the show once we'd actually kept our flag. Oh, that's what I saw this one, yeah. So he sent us an email saying... Once you, you keep with the motherland, yeah. the UK, I thought, now I become a patron because I thought, you are a patriotic country. Yes. Mm, yeah. Don't get me started about the flag. Okay. Deborah Hayward. Now Deborah, I went on to Athlinks and I plugged in Deborah Hayward. I'm not sure if I found the correct Deborah Hayward or not, but whoever I found, they, their, their first race results were like 
going to the dark side weekend races. Mm. So I thought, I've got to go Star Wars here. Yep. Uh, so Deborah Haywood, The Mighty Ray. Did you do all of these? Yes. Wow, that's impressive. You normally give me more. I know. I'm, I'm happy with you today. And then uh, the last one I've got is Christopher Swain, Little J. Why Little J? Little John. Because Christopher sent through an email and he's turning 40 this year nice. and there's a picture of him on Alp Duez and I thought, I've got that picture from Alp Duez because there's a, there's a permanent photographer up there that takes pictures of you all day oh, really? and then they try to sell it to you at the top yeah. and they, it's a really good picture. And he sent through that picture. He's turning 40, I'm turning 40. He did, did, did some Ironmans and so then he's like doing some different you, basically. Yeah, you're mini, mini me, little J, Christopher Swain. Oh, he's obviously a wise man, isn't he, John? Yep. Uh, well, I've got Jonathan Huddleston, and I thought of Tom Hiddleston, the actor. Oh, okay. Tom Hiddleston, that's right, yeah. You know him? No, I don't have a clue. You would know him. If you watch any of the Marvel movies, and he's in a lot of those. Right. But, um, and I went to his IMDb page, and he was in a movie called Warhorse. I thought, mm. that's a good nickname. So, it is Jonathan Warhorse Hiddleston. Right. Because the war good. horse is like the best it's horse good. of all. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Big strong things. Yeah, big strong thing. Nice. So there you go. If you want to become a patron of the show, you go to www.imtalk.me. It's all pretty obvious once you get there. You click on patrons, go through the process. There's different levels. Obviously, the highest level means you're the most <laughs> amazing person amazing. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but anyone who contributes is, it means a lot to John and I. It helps us do what we're doing. Uh, check and it out. you go in the draw for Kona 2018. Game on. Game on, John. I get Jonbo. Sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And exhale. What is it? What's their tagline? It's not just an algorithm. It's not just an algorithm. But exhale and extreme endurance. X endurance. We need, oh, we need we some more sponsors with X in it. One more X. We've got a triple X, John. Oh. <laughs> Pick it up. Um, Jonbo, you in a dilemma right now? Yeah, I'm always in a dilemma. No, because Jonbo really wanted to get away early today, and it's not mm. going to happen. No, but he's got. To, we've got an interview at. No, eight. We, we've got to. We've got to wrap this up because I've got to get home, and okay. then we're doing another interview at eight o'clock, and it's now seven thirty-nine. Uh, he's got an assignment to do. Yeah, what's your goss, John? What's my goss? I'll uh, keep it fairly brief. I had an explosion. You know, you know when you exploded on the epic camp uh, on, on the I am talk weekend. Yeah, on that last hill. Yeah. yeah. I share your pain. Yeah. I was we, really proud of how I handled that moment, but... I wasn't particularly proud of how I handled my moment. Because <laughs> I, was, I wasn't conditioned, and so I was, that was going to happen. But mentally, I couldn't have done better. Mm. Like, I really handled that well. But anyway, yeah, go no, on. I didn't. So we went out, we did, uh, it was my first really hard training ride for, for, for Epic Camp, where I was really going to try to simulate my hill climb. So we went out and we did the, uh, the, hill, the hill top, which is uh, about a 20, 20 to 25 minute, Oh, that's it, Yeah. Okay, did, nice. Went up there, came back down, then went to this other hill climb, which is uh, was tough, man. It's, was that heading up? Uh, it's called South Bays, which is sort of off off Little River. So for people who are on the yeah, camp, no, it's, it's uh, it has uh, about 5.3 kilometres at average of 10.3%. It's pretty doozy, and I pushed that a bit. And we come back along the flat, and I start to, to wind it up for the final climb of the day. And so, so the, you're going to Coopers again? Yeah. So the whole, whole ride was 140 kilometres with tough. over 2,000 metres of elevation climb. But man, it started really cool in the day. It was like four or five degrees. And then um, by the time we were Sunday? finishing, it was Sunday. It yeah. was baking. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so I was, I'd was i already said in Little River, again, I just I get so annoyed at myself when I don't listen to myself. We're in the toilets. Oh, this could go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but I was filling up a drink bottle. And I said, man, I've really got to drink more water. <laughs> and I only filled up one of my drink bottles. 
didn't fill up the other one. Still had a couple of hours to ride. And then I'm about 10 minutes down the road going, that was a pretty stupid thing to do. <laughs> and so I'm baking. and But I started the climb really, really well. And I was hitting my wattage nicely. So going up Cooper's Knob now? Yep. Get to the top, which you get to this first intersection, which is about a, about That's a six exactly where I was the plot as well, John. Turn left there, and then it flattens off. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to probably be able to hold my target wattage across this flatter section. It's really hard to, to hold. But I'll give it, I'll just... Hang in there a bit, and then I'll give it another good push. So, are you riding with other people at this moment? I'd, I'd drop them. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'd, sit at the, I'd, I'd sit at the bottom of the climb on the way back. Look, let's just get home. I'm not going to wait on the, at the top of this climb. Um, I'm just going to get home. And, uh, and I'm going up this climb. I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting a bit hot now. All the power's starting to drop. And all of a sudden, <laughs> whooshka, I was, uh, the lights were out. Uh, and, and then you have the steep section, which is several kilometres long. Oh, and it's tough. It's between. I was grinding up there, man. I tell it, you, it averages over ten percent, and there's plenty of pitches that are sort of fifteen. It's misery, and I had completely <laughs> detonated, and uh, I stopped once just to try to gather my thoughts, and then Murray the whole. Oh, so you stopped? See, I didn't stop. I was oh. close, and I was like, I'm probably better faster walking. Yeah, but I was like, no, I'm going to work through this. So you stopped. The holy wow. hammer, holy hammer. I turned around one stage. The holy hammer's quite a long way back, and he just he came <laughs> past me like I was standing still. And apparently uh, you were. And I had no water left. I had no food left, and and then I stopped again, and I took off all my. I didn't take off all my clothes, but I took off my leg warmers or arm warmers. Man, I only just got made it to the top. And uh, thankfully, the Holy Hammer was waiting there and he had some water left in his bottles. And I said, could I have a little bit of that water? And he gave me about two thirds of a bottle. I dropped that in two seconds flat and grovelled so home. So dehydration more than lack of food or both? It was a combination of the two. How are you finding now? They've been doing this diet for, what, a month or so? How are you finding it? Good. But this today, in hindsight, that was just a pure... I didn't take on enough nutrition. Yeah. So, for example, in the you know, I feel like my cycling's coming along, and on the I'm Talk camp, we had the pie and yeah. stuff, and that's what got me home. But this case, I just didn't have enough fuel. But yeah. it's good to have these experiences. We we're talking about the fuel yesterday on the, when we were out running. It's good to get your ass kicked from time to oh, time. Oh, it's really healthy and, for you. Uh, and also, and how do you handle that moment mentally? Mm. You know? So not very well in this case. Well, no, it wasn't too bad. I was just, the lights were out. It was a little concerning coming down the hills when your arms are shaking. And yeah, that's yeah. Like, yeah, that's a reward. So, uh, yeah, that was my main thing for the week. Bevan, and our football team, our first game back being coach on the Saturday, we got a two-all draw. They'd lost the first two games oh, okay. when okay. I wasn't there. Oh. Bevan, what's happening in your world? Now you're going to be like Leicester, John. Yeah, Think about Leicester City, you're going to yeah. win the thing. Well, they haven't won it yet. Yeah, but they're looking good. Jobbo, my, my story from the week, I've got a few stories, but I'll just tell one. So I went to put my parents up from the airport the other day. They've been over in, in Bali for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they need to be picked up. So I picked up, and my nephew had been house sitting near house. Mm-hmm. And I get home, I get home, and I help them take the bags in because I'm a good kid. And uh, go and take the bags in. My nephew, yeah. my mum, my mum is stupidly anally clean. Yeah. And my nephew had done, she was pretty concerned about how the house is going to look because he's, what, 19, mm. you know, of an age where, you know, boys. And so mum was slightly concerned. Now, she walked in now. To her, the house was a, was, it was definitely out of place. Mm. It was pretty good if you ask me, but for mm. my mum, yeah. stupid anal. But he, he left his aftershave out. And I thought, oh, that looks like a cool bottle of aftershave. So I, yeah. I got the aftershave and sprayed the crap out of myself. And my mum goes... What do I Mitch has my ass to shave lying outside? So I just sprayed myself. And yes. I hadn't been shy. And I smelt like my mother oh, for no. the rest of the day. And it was oh, not good, John. No. No. And I came home, I gave Joe a hug and she goes, Yeah, get away, oh, get away yeah, from me. What's wrong with you? So don't don't just spray random bottles of aftershave as the yes. lesson from today. And other than that, John? We've been promising our legends show and we're just gonna have to, oh, gonna yeah, have to sorry, hold off on that. Sorry. I deleted <laughs> last I deleted the interview. 
First time in 10 years, so it's got to, got to happen at some stage. Yeah, well, the reason is, is my laptop, the thing that sucks about computers nowadays, they've gone for these fast drives, but they don't have, um, the, the, the storage isn't that high, so I've got like one of those fast drives, but it's only 250 gigs. Mm. So my laptop's got to the point where I've kind of used all my space. And so occasionally it goes, you need to delete stuff, and I must have gone and deleted, oh, I felt really bad when I figured that out, I tell mm. you. So, But John was actually pretty reasonable. I, I thought I might have got the angry John. So... I had enough time to think about it. (laughs) Right, we're going to go do this next interview. Okay. Iron Russ. I'm a dope. Train hard. Train smart. Kick Kick hard.